Well, I'm Todd, and I'm the lead pastor here, and uh, I'm glad I'm here, and I hope you're glad you're here. So we begin a new series today called The Songs of Christmas. And uh, so we're going to get to that in a moment. So if you got your uh, Bible or you got a device on your phone or your iPad, whatever it is you're doing, you want to go to Luke's Gospel, chapter 1. So if you're not new, to, if, sorry, if you're not familiar with the Bible, uh, you just go to the Old Testament, which is about two-thirds through uh, the Bible, and you go to Matthew, Mark, and then Luke. And it's the very first chapter, verses 26 to 46. We're going to read those in a moment. I don't know where this came from, but we're doing morning, Sunday morning groaners. Y'all sound so excited about that. So um, here's this morning's, I got a couple, and depending on how you respond, I may have a third one. So first one, what did Eve, sorry, what did Adam say on the day before Christmas. It's Christmas, Eve. You're supposed to groan. Here's the second one. What do you call a person who is afraid of Santa Claus? Claustrophobia. I see, that's what I'm after right there. That's good, that's good. Okay, here's, so now that you responded appropriately, I'll give you the third one. Who is the bane of Santa's life? The elf and safety officer. All right, okay, let's stand together and let's read this text and get me out of trouble. It's, uh, we got a few, uh, we got uh, 20 verses, but, but eight slides. So the, I'm reading red, you're reading black. This is what it says. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how would this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth is in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who is called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah, 
And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you that you love us and have so generously, extravagantly demonstrated that to us in Jesus Christ. Thank you for the work and ministry of the Spirit that makes everything that you've accomplished in Jesus applicable and available to our lives. And so we ask that you would give us a voice to speak, ears to hear, minds to understand, hearts to comprehend, and as we leave this place, to live out the love and the truth of the living Christ. And in his name we pray, amen. I want you to be seated. So I've got a couple of questions for you. What is your favorite song? Well, I should qualify that. What is your favorite secular song. Oh, I know you're Christians. You don't have any secular songs. Let me tell you mine. I could argue that it's not a secular song, but mine, of course, would be, and you know this is U2's. I still haven't found what I'm looking for. What's yours? Here we go. Bob Dylan, move over. Yes. Go Matt. Come on. Yell me me out some names, your words. uh, Hello. Titles. Here we go. Beautiful day. What else? (laughs) <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. One more. What? Okay. Now, what's your favorite sacred song? Favorite sacred song. Now, I don't know if I have a favorite sacred song, but I do find myself often catching myself either humming or singing a line of it is well with my soul but I don't know if that's my favorite or not but anyway that's kind of right what about your what's your favorite sacred song oh no hang on I can't hear you say that again Hosanna what else yes okay old rugged cross what else on okay yes what else Amazing Grace. I knew somebody's coming up with that eventually. Good call. One more. Say what? Long has a name? Oh, love has a name. That's right. I'm losing my hearing. I'm a grandfather now. I'm allowed. Oh, he's gone. Kevin's not here. Never mind. You got that? Kevin's not here? Home alone. Never mind. Okay. Uh, I got to focus. I got to focus. Okay. Um, Well, I'm having a day. Okay. Favorite secular Christmas song. Now, here's mine. Chris Ree or Rhea, whatever you want to call him. I can't remember how to pronounce his last name. And it's Driving Home for Christmas. You ever heard that? It's a great song. Okay. Favorite secular Christmas song. What is it? Well, that's kind of a blur. What'd you say? Silent night. That's not, that's sacred, but we'll take it. Jingle bells. We're going to sing it tonight just for you, Pierre. What else? Okay, that's good because I can't hear anything. 
Ah, White Christmas. Bing Cross. Okay, what else? Okay, there's two things you should never hear in a Pentecostal church. <laughs> Mistletoe and Justin Bieber. No, I'm just kidding. Okay. Um, <laughs> favorite sacred Christmas song or carol. Mine is O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, because there is such expectation. In it. Come on. Favorite sacred Christian song. Breath of Heaven. Yeah, good choice. Breath of Heaven. Amy Grant. Silent Night. Night, You said it over there. Exactly. Everybody loves Silent Night. Christmas Eve, folks. Candles. Silent Night. Oh, Holy Night. Beautiful. Mariah Carey. Best version ever. I didn't say that out loud, did I? One more. What? Oh, Holy Night. I think that's Oh, Holy Night, isn't it? But anyway, great choice nonetheless. Did you know that there are Christmas songs in the Bible? Did you know that? Matter of fact, there are four of them. And over the Christmas season, over these next couple of Sundays, next four Sundays, five Sundays including today, we're going to be looking at each of these songs. Now, what I want you to, how I want you to treat today is sort of like an overture, if you will. And an overture is sort of an orchestral piece that sort of uh, is a prelude or an introduction to a, a more significant or substantial piece of music. And uh, so this is sort of the overture. And so that brings us then to the four songs of Christmas that we're going to look at starting next week. Now, the first one is Mary's song. And that's in Luke's gospel. Matter of fact, uh, if you've got your device on or you've got your Bible open, you can see it there, verses 46. We ended just before Mary's song in our reading this morning. And uh, you can read that right to verse 55. And then comes, it's called the Magnificat, actually, and it's about... Uh, and we'll talk about that next week. And then comes Zachariah's song. And Zachariah's song is really a song of expectation. But most people don't know this. But Christmas is actually about the birth of two babies. That would be four. Two babies. Uh, Jesus, of course, which is a given. And then John the Baptist. So we'll look at that in the third week. And then we're going to look at the angel song. And the angel song is really the song of worship. And it's a song of goodwill. It talks about how God has goodwill toward everybody. And uh, we'll talk about that. And uh, then the last one that we'll do is we'll talk about Simeon's song. Now, Simeon's song is probably the least known. And uh, it's, it's really powerful, but we'll get to that in a moment. Now, another question. If you, could boil the, if you could boil the Christmas season down, if you could distill it to one word, what word would that be? Now, I'm sure that immediately people would say Jesus. But there are other words, right? Now, I just am thinking about this right now, so I'm just going to go... Just gonna, I just realized how ridiculous that question is. If I were to boil Christmas down to one word, it would be Christmas. Not shopmas. Not Santa-mas. Not giftmas, and not even familymas. It's Christmas. It's about Christ. Now, which also means that if it's about Christmas and it's about Christ, then it's about hope. Hope. 
Now, next week, we'll begin the process of lighting the uh, Advent candles. And there's a reason why the very first candle that we light is the candle called hope. Because hope is a, is a big part of the Christmas message. It's not the message, but it is part of the message. And hope is one of the greatest needs that we have in our human hearts. And hope is also one of the themes of the four songs of Christmas that we're going to look at. Now, in English, sometimes we describe the word hope with the word wish. But in the Bible, the Bible says that hope is a kind of confidence. And so the first thing is that hope is a confident expectation that God will fulfill his promises. Now, this is what it says in Mary's song, or just actually before Mary's song, in the text we just read, in verse 45, And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Now, that is what Mary, or rather what Elizabeth, says to her cousin Mary. That's the language of hope. Hope is believing that what God has said to us, that what God has said to you, what God has said to me is going to be accomplished. We need that kind of confident expectation. But hope also trusts God to transcend understanding and expectations. Now, none of the people in the Christmas story had a detailed explanation of how God was going to do what he was going to do and how he was going to fulfill his promise. Mary and Joseph did not know or understand the biological or the spiritual implications of the virgin birth. Zachariah did not understand the full implications of naming his son John. And Simeon does not know how this child that he is holding in his hands is going to be the light of revelation to the Gentiles and is going to be the light of the glory of Israel. He doesn't know any of that, just like we do not know how and why. We don't know how God is going to answer our prayer or how he is going to fulfill his promise to us. Or how good is going to come out of terrible circumstances or how our situation is going to work out for our good and for God's glory. You see, God is in the business of taking ordinary water and transforming it into extraordinary wine. And God knows how to do this. He knows how to take something common and make it into something that is precious. He knows how to take something ordinary and make it extraordinary. He knows how to turn tragedy into triumph. And that's the hope that Christmas brings us. That's the hope that Christmas promises. 
Hope trusts God in spite of problems. One of the realities of the Christmas story is that the story takes place against the backdrop of all kinds of problems. A king, an emperor, issues a, sense, a, a order that a census should be taken. Joseph is forced to travel. Mary bounces her way to Bethlehem on the back of a donkey. And that has a whole new reality for me these days. The hotel is full. The hour is late. And the entire event is just one big hassle. But out of the hassle, hope is born. No day is accidental or incidental. No acts are random or wasted. And maybe for some of us this year, I know for some of the people that we mentioned a few moments ago, that Christmas is going to feel more like a whole day than a holiday. By the way, that's how one expectant mother who discovered that instead of great joy, there was going to be great sadness at one point in her life for Christmas. And she said to her dad, when, they went to the, when the dad and the mom went to the hospital room, she said to her dad, exactly what I just said to you, she said, Christmas this year feels like a whole, H-O-L-E, a day. And maybe for us, there's more tears than cheers. Maybe the busy schedules, social schedules of some only highlights our empty one. Maybe images of families together reinforces our pain of families apart. But Christmas's entire message is filled with deep happiness in the midst of great darkness, of profound hope in the face of perplexing problems. And hope waits for God to accomplish his will, his way. Listen to a line from Simeon's song in Luke 2.29. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. According to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation. Hope for hope in God for Simeon is not coming to God and asking God to bless what he's doing and hope that God's going to do it. No, Simeon found out what God was doing and he blessed it. And the last thing about hope is that hope does not disappoint us. Hope does not disappoint us. And here's why. Here's why. Because God knows what it's like to be human. When we talk to him about deadlines and long lines and tough times, he's been there. Matter of fact, he's been here. 
He knows exactly what's going on in your life, in my life. Now, Christmas presents from Santa, that's nice. But the perpetual presence of Christ is absolutely life-changing. I think we would all admit that we live in anxious times. Terrorism is living up to its name, terror. Violence and senseless attacks and bloodshed and cruelty. And there's this, the job we can't keep and the illness that can't be diagnosed and the marriage we can't fix and the boss that we can't please. You know what we're like? We're like the little boy who had, was playing the part of the angel in the Christmas pageant. And his mother rehearsed his lines with him over and over again. He watched it on the stage, and all he has to say is, It is I. Do not be afraid. It is I. Do not be afraid. The day of the pageant comes. <clears throat> he walks onto the stage. He sees the lights. He sees the crowd. And he freezes. And after a couple of moments of awkward silence, you know what I'm talking about, right? He says, I'm here and I'm scared. (laughs) I've been scared. I've been really scared. Have you been scared? Whether we look at the exchange between Elizabeth and Mary, or the determination of Zechariah to name his son John, or the angel song to the shepherds and to the world, or Simeon's song, it shows us that hope does not lead to disappointment, but to the fulfillment of God's promises. For our greater good and for God's greater glory. God speaks to us in Christmas, strengthening our hearts with great hope in Him. And so, Christmas, the Christmas story is proof of hope, but it's not hope in just anything, it's hope in salvation. Now, when we talk about salvation, we need to ask the question, what do we mean when we use the word salvation? Because there's a lot of ideas that get attached to the idea of the word salvation, and salvation means many different things. And even in the Bible, salvation means many things. For example, in the Old Testament, there are at least three words that sort of talk about salvation. And those three words really mean, are are interpreted to save or literally salvation or to deliver. Now, there are all kinds of configurations or ways in the Old Testament that salvation is understood. Here they are. Here's some of them. First of all, it can mean something as simple, well not simple, but deliverance from enemies or from oppressors. It can mean victory in battle. Salvation can be a rescue from personal enemies or persecutors. Salvation can be healing from sickness. And salvation can also be vindication in court. 
We come to the New Testament and we find something very similar. The Greek word to save, or the Greek word soteria, we get the word salvation from it, but in the New Testament, salvation can can be something as practical as actually being saved from drowning. It can be as simple as getting better from illness, or being healed of a disease or a disability. It can mean spared from death. Or it can mean being rescued from physical or from spiritual danger. And many of these problems are part of our human experience at some point. And here's what's interesting. Large portions of the Bible are given to stories of God acting and working to save people from these common and ordinary dilemmas of life. It's called salvation. But these are all symptoms of a deeper disorder, a deeper issue in human life. Something deeper lies beneath all these symptoms. Something greater lies beyond these symptoms as part of our human predicament. Enemies, lies, sickness, disease, oppression. False accusation, violence, death. These are all a result of a deep-rooted rebellion, sin, in the human heart. Now, James Davis Manual is 50 hours and 43 minutes old. Would you like to see him? you are. (laughs) Isn't he cute? Wow, look what we did, eh? We had hardly anything to do with it. But you know what's interesting? You know, you can run that alarm all day. But I'm not stopping until I'm done. Okay, so here's the deal. Now, there's a number of things we're going to have to teach, James. Number of things. Um, For example, Ben, you're going to have to teach him Finn, you and Perio. And uh, we're going to have to teach him how to whistle. We're going to teach him how to snap his fingers. But here's some things we're not going to have to teach him. We're not going to have to teach him to say no. Have you ever noticed, you ever noticed that no one ever teaches children about the golden arches, about McDonald's, or about high fives? Every child knows, hey, that's McDonald's. High five. We're not going to have to teach James about how to throw temper tantrums. We're not going to have to teach him how to pout or how to pass blame. Do you know why? Because just like us, We learn those things from birth. Because the Bible has a word for it, and each of us, the Bible says, is born with the sin nature. Max Licato says, the heart of the problem is the problem of the heart. That our human rebelliousness and disobedience has infected 
and injected its dismal effects in every dimension of our human person, of our society, of, of human history, and it seems that it's escalating with every generation. And our ultimate need is for God to deal with the root problem, not the symptoms. Ultimately, the God of Christmas who saves is the God who deals with our sins. We see that in the, New, in the Old Testament. The psalmist is profoundly aware of sin and the need for forgiveness. The prophets, the same thing. And when we come to the New Testament, it is here. <laughs> it is here that God deals with the root problem ultimately in the Christmas story. Matthew's explanation that Jesus' name would be that, and the words of Matthew are, she will bear a son, talking about Mary, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now, you and I, we may not see the connection between Jesus' name and the statement that he will save his people from their sins, but Joseph would have. Because Joseph was familiar with the Hebrew language and he knows that the name Jesus comes from Yeshua or Joshua. And Yeshua literally means Yahweh, God, saves. But Luke goes even further than Matthew. Luke is the one who goes the furthest with when it comes to using the language of salvation in the arrival of Jesus. This is what Harold, Howard Marshall said. He said, the birth narrative of Luke's gospel functions like an overture. That's where I got it. Setting up the main theme of the following drama by doing so with their own distinctive music. One of the most characteristic tones here is that of salvation. Luke uses salvation terms seven times in the four Christmas songs. And the bottom line is this, that the newborn Jesus is above all else. The salvation of God arrived on earth. Human need and salvation is the theme of Christmas. And Jesus came not to save us from challenges or enemies or difficulties. He came to save us from our sins. And we probably should add that Jesus didn't come to help us save ourselves. Jesus entered the world to save us from our sins. And the four Christmas songs are four responses to that message. Mary's response, Zechariah's response, the angel's response, and Simeon's response. And so I would ask all of us today sitting here, and all of those watching online, what will be our response what will be my response? What will be your response to God's salvation arriving on earth that we celebrate this Christmas? What will be our response? What will be my response? What will be 
your response. As we go through the Christmas season and we talk about these themes, these songs, how will we respond? I want you to just shut your eyes for a moment. And I want us just to have a private moment without our worrying about our kids or worrying about our spouse or thinking about what our friend might think or whatever the case may be, so that the person next to you, they got their eyes shut just like we have ours shut. And we're just private. And so the question is this. What will be my response this Christmas season to God's salvation arriving on earth in the form of a newborn baby? Jesus, the one who will save people from their sins. Oh, he'll deliver you from a whole bunch of other stuff too, don't worry. But most importantly, and first on the list, is from our sins. I want to pray for you. Father, in the name of Jesus, and by the work and the agency and the power and the presence of your Spirit. We have our eyes closed. And when we have our eyes closed, it's a moment to be private. Where we are faced like Mary, Zechariah, the angels, and Simeon, with the need for response. How will I respond to the arrival of your salvation on earth in Jesus Christ, the babe in the manger. And I pray that today or throughout this Christmas season, that this will be a time when we will say yes to your offer of love and forgiveness in our own lives, in our personal lives. And Lord, I pray whatever prejudice, whatever foolishness that has been conjured up about who you are and who you are not, I pray that you would help us to sort of make our way through all those opinions and all those prejudices. And find the baby in the manger as the generous, gracious provision of love and forgiveness this Christmas season. And we ask this today in Christ's name and for his name's sake. Amen. Amen? Now, for those of you who have never said yes, I want you to think about it today. Think about it over the Christmas season. And for those of us that have said yes and need to sort of let that faith experience come out of dormancy, we need to think about that as well. Because over the next four weeks, I'll be challenging us to do that. Does that make sense? So this Christmas season, think about response.
How will I respond to God's offer of love and forgiveness in Jesus Christ? Amen?